everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of Petability. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them Petability sent you. Welcome to Petability. I'm your host, Kathy Simons. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Hello, Kathy. How are you this afternoon? Hello, hello, Chris. I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, I'm freezing, though. I'll tell you what. It was like 70 yesterday. It was like... Twenty like seven. Yeah, it's like twenty degrees out yeah. here. Yeah, you know. Plus and, wind chill. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not good for me. Oh, there goes my dog. He's not happy. Hi, Mac. He's, he's he's not, not happy with the weather either. He's like, weather. I second that. This weather is not pug friendly. <laughs> this weather is not pug friendly. He's pretty upset about that. So. Especially a fit pug like Mac because he doesn't have that extra layer of body fat. I that, know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That some he's, um, he's he's really in shape for a pug. I mean, he's he's pretty uh, he's pretty buff. But anyway. He doesn't like to get wet or cold, and so today's not his day. But yeah, yeah. But anyway, well, I'm I'm so glad that we're we're talking this day because um I've had so we've had this conversation for quite some time about talking about uh, this topic that we're going to discuss today about whether we should to raise our bulldog bulls or not to raise our dog bulls. Exactly, exactly. To raise or not to raise the bowls. That is the question. That is the question <laughs> of the day. And and I'd actually suggested this topic to you because it's something that I talk to every single client about. Hmm. It's kind of like traction for me um, yeah. and the importance of traction. I, I think that it's a simple lifestyle question, you know, that, that one can, can ponder in their situation and uh, really help their their pets going forward mm. i have to tell you i'm not as good about the bowl raising as as you are when we're assessing the you know the dog in their in their home but after you know doing a lot of research on it i have to add this to my evaluation right um and there was so much to learn you know i mean i know what elevated bulls are too i mean i know what it, elevated bulls are exactly what 
you know, it sounds like, but there are lots of questions that go with elevated bulls. What's the right size? How high do we elevate the dogs? Is every dog a candidate for having their bulls raised? You know, Mm -hmm. so there's lots of things to delve into as far as um, to raise or not to raise, you know. Yeah. So what, what did your research reveal? Well, first, let me ask you, what, what is your uh, conclusion? Because I know when I brought it up, you said, you know, I'm going to have to research this a little bit. And and obviously you have. So in general, do you think uh, it's a, a valid thing to, to recommend? Okay. So let me tell you what I did first before I started reading. Okay. Okay. The first thing I did was um, I got a bowl, right, of cereal, uh, Reese's Puffs, because it actually mimics a little bit more of the kibble, you know, the consistency and the shape of kibble. It's also delicious with the chocolate and the peanut butter. And I put is it, it on. Is the, that really cereal or is it just like breakfast oh candy? God, it's so delicious. It's so delicious. But anyway, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, do my best to mimic what the experience would be for a dog. And I thought that was, you know, probably the closest in shape and so forth. So I put it on the floor and I got down on all fours and I tried to eat out of the bowl while I'm on all fours, while the bowl's on the floor. So the bowl's on the floor and I have to bring my neck down, you know, to get my head into the bowl. I also had to move my arms. You know, I had to get my arms flexed to get my uh, neck down that far. Right. I also had to spread them just a little bit. I wish people not not only could see you doing this, but could see my facial expression. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Because this is this is classic. I love it. Okay, go on. I wanted to know what the experience was. Right. So now, you know, I've got my head, my neck bent down into the bowl. Um, I had to flex my arms. I had to abduct my shoulders a bit. And while I'm on my knees, I had to kind of roll up on my knees a little bit to get forward. Right. So I was like, this is not, you know, I mean, of course, I don't eat that way normally, folks, just for clarification. Really? But, you know, it's not, I don't. Um, but yeah, it was a bit, it was awkward to me, certainly, you know, as a human uh, t- to be in this position, but it was also a bit uncomfortable, right? It's a bit uncomfortable. And uh, then I raised the bowl, you know, I took the bowl and I put it on a chair. So the chair was about the, you know, if I'm on all fours, the chair is probably at my shoulder, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was so much more comfortable for me. It's so much easier to get access to the food. Um, it also was, it also was a little bit less messy because I couldn't pick up all the pieces when I was on the floor, but, um, but I felt it when it was a more comfortable position for me. My back was in alignment, right? It was, it was in its proper position. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have to bend my legs or my neck. Um, and I didn't have to make a whole lot of body accommodations. Does that make sense to, yeah. I had to make a, com- a lot of accommodations to be able to eat from the bowl. So my feeling was overall, I felt that I was more comfortable in the scenario where I had the bowls raised. So I think that there's validity to it, right? I think that there's something to consider about it. Um, and and I guess the, a couple of things I did, I also looked up a, 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 any studies about, you know, whether there was any risk factors for elevation of bulls, right? So are there any factors that could potentially be a con in this situation rather than a pro? Um, I found one article in, mm-hmm. in the Journal of American Veterinary Medical Association where they did a study, a uh, uh, little over six. 1,600 animals, 1,637 dogs. Right? Wow, that's a big study. And, yeah, it's a, big, it's a big study. And all these dogs were over the age of six months old, and they were large breed dogs. So the group included Akitas, Bloodhounds, Great Danes, Collies, Irish Setters, Wolfhounds, some Newfoundlands, Rottweilers, a St. Bernard, a Standard Poodle, and, a Weim- and some Weimaraners. So they took a, lo- a group of large breed dogs, and, mm-hmm. and, and they fed them with the raised bowls. And so, you know, overall, you know, the, the, the conclusion of that was that um, – 
the incidence of what they're, they're, they're considering about these hot dogs, you know, being high risk is, is it a potential factor in bloat um, or what we call what the, the name is actually uh, gastric dilatation volvulus, but, but most people probably know it as bloat, right? Um, and that's when the stomach fills up with air and air gets trapped and whatever's in the stomach gets trapped um, and that stomach actually starts to flip and twist on itself. And that that's a very bad, very dangerous. Right. Uh, it can be life-threatening. Life-threatening emergency, right? Um, and what they found is that it was a factor in, in these dogs. And now um, you have to take into consideration that there were other things, you know, that these dogs are large breed dogs. Uh, they had to take into consideration that there might have been a history in the family of, you know, in their in their line of, of bloat. Um, but overall, they felt that there was a little bit of a risk factor um, with raised bulls when you're feeding these giant breed dogs. Now, there was no study on small breed dogs. And I think that everything I found on small to medium sized dogs suggests that, yes, you should elevate your dog's bulls. But with our large breed dogs, I think we need to be careful. I think we need to talk that over with our veterinarian about whether we should or should not raise our bulls when we're looking at large or giant breed dogs. So let me ask you this. I guess I have a lot of questions. So I had heard that too. And I've been recommending the raised bulls for all sizes of dogs, big, small, giant, tiny, for decades now. And what I had heard is that we already know that large breed, giant breed dogs that are deep chested, so a lot of the breeds you mentioned, but in particular, I think of like Great Danes and Dobermans and, and things like that are already predisposed to bloat based exactly. on their anatomy. So how did this study, uh, I guess, determine that it was actually the elevated bulls versus just the confirmation and build of the breed itself? Well, I think that they considered those factors as well. I think that they were like, uh, let me see if I can read the. The cumulative incidence of GDV during the study was 6% for large breed and giant breed dogs. Factors significantly associated with increased risk of GDV were increasing age, having a first degree relative with a history of GDV, um, faster eating styles, so dogs that you know eat quickly, and having raised or elevated bulls. So approximately 20, <clears throat> approximately 20 and 52% of cases of GDV among the large and giant breed dogs, respectively were attributed to having, you know, a, a raised bull. Hmm. And, and also keep in mind that this study was also, it's only one I could find and it was done 20 years ago. And I think they, the other thing that needs to be said about um, GDV is we still don't know a lot about it. We still don't know very much about it. Right. Um, so I think that you have to take it into consideration with all these other factors as well. So, you know, dogs eating fast and is there a history um, and should we or should we not raise those bulls? Interesting. I'm glad you mentioned it was 20 years ago because, again, I've been doing this almost 20 years, and that's what I had heard initially as well. This is a healthy debate, Kathy. I know, um, I know. <laughs> that that raised bowls mm-hmm. causes bloat. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, was really paying attention. And I think it was based on that study. Again, mm-hmm. it sounds like a great study you know, large number, a lot of times in veterinary studies, you don't get a huge Mm -hmm. sample size. But I thought that since then, the raised bull had been dispelled as a, as Mm -hmm. not a factor, you know, that it's more of a, of a myth. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm glad you mentioned about the eating faster, because that's what I had heard is if it's more comfortable for a pet to 
eat mm-hmm. and they love their food. You know, yeah. you know we all know yeah. those crazy <laughs> dogs that, you know, like they live, live to eat, not eat to live. Me too. Um, <laughs> Me too. Yes. And so, um, you know, now it's like right there, it's right there at their mouth. And they're like, Oh my God, this is good. And they just like inhale their food. And so if it was, if it's easier for them to eat faster because it's elevated and more comfortable then that, that could, you know, kind of perpetuate that that myth. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, that that's the factor that eating fast. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I kind of come to the conclusion and, you know, in my study, my end of one, Chris Cranston, that, uh, you know, the, the bloat is a, a factor based on confirmation and how fast they eat and then Mm -hmm. exercising immediately after they eat, Mm -hmm. which we don't, we don't want to ever do. No, we don't want to ever do because that, causes that that yeah. stomach to to twist upon itself um yeah. even more so yeah. um and we know that that in general smaller breed dogs uh do not have the incidence of bloat it's it's mm-hmm. much much rarer yeah so i started i don't even know when i started recommending the raised bulls but it's been a long time that's how long mm-hmm. i can't even remember but you know as a physical therapist i was just thinking about the biomechanics and you know to your point in your experiment, yes, we're bipedal creatures. And so, you know, typically we're not as comfortable on our, our hands and knees and all fours, but, you know, I was watching my dogs, other dogs eat and drink and also thinking about the problems and injuries for which I was treating these pets. Uh And we've mentioned in other shows that oftentimes, you know, we're treating for cruciate injuries, um, post-surgical, you know, knee uh, stabilization surgeries, you know, that sort of thing, um, hip dysplasia, a lot of rear end issues. Uh-huh. And I'm watching them lean forward and these dogs aren't increasing their strength and muscle mass, you know, maybe to the degree that I would like in the, in that leg and those hindquarters in general. And so I'm like, what is an everyday thing that an owner can do that's fairly simple that would lift the head? So that's uh-huh. ultimately what I want to do, right? Yeah. So the head right. with its brain is fairly weighty. And so whenever, and we've talked about this in other shows with talking about exercise and such, whenever we bring the head up, weight is shifted to the rear. Uh So why not do that while they're eating, keep their top line more level, bring that head up, get more weight on their hind feet. And also, if they do have a front end injury, oftentimes we're trying to spare that from overwork because Uh a normal dog without any injury that's perfectly healthy has 60% of their weight on the front limbs and 40% on the back. So they're already getting relatively more use. Uh And as dogs age, or certainly if they have a rear end injury, then that ratio becomes skewed even more, 70, 30, 80, 20. Yeah. So I want to do everything that I can in general. Most of the the time, I say eight times out of 10, you know, I'm treating a rear leg injury, uh, lower back injury, something like that. And I want to do everything I can to strengthen the hind legs and relieve stress, pressure, strain from the front limbs and the yeah. neck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also, I mean, would you agree that if you have the bowl elevated like that too, you're not only that, but you're also, I mean, you have to stabilize yourself. Right. And so you're doing a little bit of, sometimes I have animals just 
as part of their exercise, depending on what's wrong with them, stand for 10 seconds without weight shifting. Um, because I feel like they're getting, you know, they're, they're exercising some of their core muscles and muscles around the spinal cord too, just to stabilize themselves. Well, I do think that especially if they aren't engaging their trunk very well, uh, more caudally back toward mm-hmm. the tail yeah, or yeah. using those hind legs. So again, if, if we can get that balance, you know, mm-hmm. amongst the forelimbs and throughout the entire spine and trunk, then I think that, yes, definitely stabilization. And to your point, Kathy, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes what I start with, with a very differently abled dog that's quite weak or deconditioned, maybe very geriatric or has some profound disease process or illness mm-hmm. is simply the goal is have them stand to eat. Yes. And yes, agree. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's what they would normally do, you know, versus lying down to eat or sitting yeah. to eat. I mean, yeah. there are those outliers, I, but that are just I, lazy yes. dogs. I agree. And I will often do that, especially with some of some, maybe some of these neuro patients and stuff as well, and get them to stand where they're eating. And sometimes I just prescribe standing and I could just see the look on the owner's face. Like I just paid for that. Like that's your advice. (laughs) But it's good advice. It's good advice for a lot of these dogs to stand to eat or to stand in general without weight shifting. Right. Um, So it it is an exercise. I didn't just make it up. It really is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's good. You know, and and even for some of my patients who have like, I I think about, you know, I have a a patient with a forelimb amputation and and I have her raise her bulls as well, because she has to kind of get in that position that she has to get into. So some of these dogs, you're right, that are differently abled, um, geriatric, maybe tripod, you know, um, certainly those elevated bulls are going to make things easier for them as, as far as their body, you know, mechanics, right? So yes. here's my question, though. How do we know? How do we know how high to, re- to, to raise these bulls? Now, for me, now I know if I'm going to eat on all fours, my comfortable level is at the shoulder, you know, where my mm-hmm. where when I'm eating out of a bowl. <laughs> fours. Um, but how do I know? How do I know what's the right size for my dog? Right? How do I know if my pug should, bowl should be raised two inches from the ground or should be raised six inches from the ground? Right. And I think early on, that's what many people would ask me in terms of, you know, height, you know, how many inches. And I would always say at least to the elbow, but no higher than the shoulder. But sometimes it's hard based on the mm-hmm. breed of the dog and the confirmation to to know, you know, exactly where those those landmarks are. Mm-hmm. And. I think that the higher you can get it up to the shoulder, the better in terms of shifting that weight. Um, but if you get it too high, the dog can't get its its muzzle down in the bowl. And right. I actually, I had a client, I felt so badly. This was early on and, you know, I'd given them some instructions like that. And um, they were well-to-do and they had a staff. And she instructed the gentleman to make elevated bowls for their dog. Uh-huh. And they were beautiful. And I'm sure it took him many hours. He presents the bowl set and they were too high. It's the, too- the dog could not get. Oh, that's yeah. a bummer. But I said, I said, great job. This is, you know, awesome. Just yeah. cut it down at the bottom, you know, <laughs> yeah. just, just take a, you know, a couple inches off. Yeah. But now I've actually, because it is such a, a question for people, I will measure and I will mm-hmm. give them. And usually it's not an exact range because, yeah. you know, if I, or I should say it is a range, not an exact number because, um, 
Fortunately, there are many types of elevatables out there now. When mm-hmm. you and I started doing this, Kathy, they were unheard of. Um, yeah. you know, people were just putting them up on a box or you yeah. know a crate or something like that. Um, but an elevated bowl, even if if our audience is thinking, oh, I'm going to order this large one because I have mm-hmm. a golden retriever online, and the the large is ten inches off the ground. And the small is six inches, inches off the ground. That's not mm. enough, mm. you know? So oftentimes like a, a golden retriever will be like 16, 17 inches, but you know, I'll say, you know, any, I'll show them on their dog anywhere from here to here. And usually I give them about a two inch range from the mm. tip of the shoulder in the front. Usually you can feel a bone sticking out. That's yeah. the maximum height. And then I'll go, you know, an inch or two down from there. So if that measures at you know, 15, I'll say 13 to 15 inches. Mm -hmm. So almost, I mean, potentially what we would like to see is maybe it be square with their chest, you know, if possible. So they're not lifting their head up or down. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah. They have to be able to tip their nose down into it. Right. But yeah, they're not straining their head and neck down to the ground and yeah, nor lifting it up and their top line, their spine should stay level. You know, once they put their their muzzle in the bowl, it shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, raise up or go down, you know, in the front. It should be nice and, and whatever the starting position was, I think, is a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And this would be true for any dog, right? So it's a relative thing. So sometimes I, I have this question on my evaluation form, you know, are your pet's bowls elevated? And people write in, you know, no, she's a small dog. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it's it's relative to the size that they are. You know, if, if they're only a few inches off the ground, they still have to, you know, get their head down. But obviously, it would be much farther for a wolfhound, to your point, mm-hmm. you know, be feet, not inches, uh, to get, <laughs> get down to the, the ground. But I think any any size dog could potentially benefit from an elevatable. And one of the things that was really, uh, I remember this just hit home, because I've been recommending them for a while. But it was an owner that said to me, I just met them. We we're talking, discussing their pet. And she said, you know, I thought my dog was sick because he wouldn't eat. He stopped eating. And so, you know, I kept trying, I kept trying, I'm putting different food in the bowl, you know, and do I need to take him to the vet? What's going on? And she happened to lift the bowl and he devoured it. <laughs> and it, yeah. yeah, it turned out when she got the, the pet to the vet, mm-hmm. he had a cervical disc. So and he couldn't a get his bulging, head down. Yes, yeah. a bulging yeah. disc in his neck, and it hurt. He was hungry, but he couldn't get his head he down couldn't. comfortably. Oh, poor yeah. man. <laughs> exactly. So I think, and that's an example I'll, I'll use with everybody. I'm like, you know, imagine... You know, if your if your neck hurt, the first thing we do is bring the bowl up so that the dog's neck uh-huh. is not strained anymore. Well, why wouldn't we do that for every dog just to prevent that strain? It's, right. it's kind of like ergonomics for your pet, right? right? They're not right. sitting at a desk chair and using the computer in terms of ergonomics. Their their work in life <laughs> is eating their food. My dog has an urban. He likes you know he has a special chair for his bed. <laughs> but you know what? It makes me think of like if I think about. I mean, what would be the closest thing to to in the wild? Maybe wild dogs or uh, wolves or coyotes. I I don't know that they. I, I think once they they've made their 
hill, if I'm not mistaken, I have to look this up. I think they get down in a, in a sphinx position uh, to eat. I don't know that they lower their head. I'm going to have to look that up and see what, what wild dogs do. Or you, you, yeah, you raise a good point because as mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it, same. You know, I think a lot of times they're kind of lying at the carcass or they'll like take external. Yeah, yeah they'll external. take a piece of meat off and, and kind of, you know covet it, if you will, and, yes, and eat yes. their, their portion. Um, but yeah, maybe that's why, you know, they just have the sense to, you know, kind of keep everything in a good position. Why would I put my head down? I'm more comfortable in this position. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But when they are standing and in the proper position, you know, mm-hmm. I do think that any dogs with digestive issues, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like slow motility, um, my Baxter has uh, a problem with that, with gastric reflux and so forth. And so anything that we can do to, aid the food going from his mouth down to his stomach and being digested is a, a good thing versus getting caught in his esophagus between his, right. his mouth and tummy. Um, so when you think about it, you know, if the head's down at the ground, it's kind of got to go north against gravity and kind of do a U-turn and then go down into the, the stomach. And but then if, go down. Yeah. yeah. And get pushed if, down. If he's yeah. starting higher, then it's just kind of a, a slide right on down from yeah. the north to south. So, yeah. And there are so many really nice elevated bowls on the market. Like I looked them up to see uh, what was out there and they're just, oh my gosh, they have some that are so fancy and so nice to go with your home decor. Mm -hmm. And I also found one that um, was adjustable. So it came on like a, like a stand and the bowls had, uh, you could actually raise or lower them. So if you, uh, you know, if you find that it's too low, you could just loosen it and move the bowls up. So I thought that was pretty neat too. So you have a wide range there. Um, or if you have multiple dogs, if you'd want, and then you, let, you lower it for another or you high, make it higher for the other dog. I don't know, but it was a lot of really good stuff out there. Um, yes. So, so do your homework on it, you know. Um, Absolutely. I like, I like a dog bowl that doesn't like scoot across the floor. You know, my I like to have one that doesn't, uh, and, and a lot of these are pretty good about not, looks like, you know, not being able to push them over or knock them down, um, uh, especially the one with the stand. It's pretty good too. Right. Yeah. They'll oftentimes have a big, uh, like wooden base, a metal base, a mm-hmm. plastic. And, you know, it's kind of, uh, if not square rectangular, almost, um, uh, pyramidal. Is that yeah. how you say it yeah. in, in shape? So like the bottom is wider than the top. So it is very stable. And then having, you know, rubber footings or what have you, so they don't slide around. I go, I do want to go back to the adjustable. I actually sold those, um, in my business because I feel so strongly about the raised bowls, um, and the popular that I was tr- treating uh, I because I couldn't carry everything that's out there and have the right size for every dog like we were just discussing. Mm-hmm. So the adjustable stand, fantastic. The, there's two issues with it that I want people to consider. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. One, it is on a metal stand and it has this, you know, you unscrew it and the bowls slide up and down on this column. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you cinch it in. The bowls are inside a ring, um, like a, a metal wire ring and the, the, the metal bowls sit down in, inside. That's the kind I had. Well, yeah. they, it, it rattles. It's, uh. it's not the most stable in terms of, um, you know, just, as they're eating and licking and, you know, nudging the bowl, it's going, you know, and, and because it's metal on metal, not Mm. that that couldn't be, you know, you could do something to address it, but it is kind of annoying, especially if you have dogs that are very sound sensitive um, and may not, you know, want, want to 
experience that, you know, while they're eating, it could really throw them off if they've never heard anything like that before. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and also if your dog is a little bit, I always tell people that if there's a way that you can transition it slowly, which that would allow you to do, right? If it's adjustable, Uh you can start low and then gradually bring it up and find that perfect, comfortable height. Um, But you know, I'll, I'll say just experiment by putting it up on something, you know, the normal bowl, don't, you know, don't change the bowl, put your normal bowl up on something a few inches high to start, and then maybe a little bit higher. And if you're having success, then make that investment, make that purchase. um, Because now you know that they don't have any problem with it. I have had people buy something that, you know, again, was really expensive, because it matches their decor, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. and the dog won't eat out of it. So just like the most expensive dog bed, right? You know, we've talked yeah. about that on our, our bed show. It doesn't mean that it's the best for your dog. It's just expensive. Yes, so. <laughs> exactly. And the most expensive isn't always what's going to work for your dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have their own preferences. And, and even considering things like, you know, metal stainless steel, I should say, versus ceramic versus plastic. You know, we all know that plastic actually harbor some bacteria. So that's not ideal. But, you know, if you change, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get this wonderful stand. If it's a different type of bowl that goes in there, that could be the factor, not just the fact that it's elevated. You know, maybe your dog's always eaten out of a ceramic bowl and now this has a metal bowl and they don't Mm -hmm. like that. And they don't like it. Yeah. Especially if their tag hits, if you have a dog with a tag and it's it's all. Yes. Wow. All right. Well, that was a, it was a heated um, debate there, Chris. <laughs> I was really, I got really heated there. Um, well, there's there's a, one other thing I want to say too. Yeah. I've had people say that, uh, that their dog is using the elevator bowl, mm-hmm. but chew to form, they'll pick up their food and then <laughs> put it on the floor. Yep. Yep. And they're like, I spent $60 on this stand and they're still eating off the floor. And I'm like, well, what can you do? Uh, you did the best you could. Yes. Yep. That is perfect to end with because yes, I've seen that happen as well. Um, and no matter what you do, no matter what you put it in, they're going to pick up a few kibble and then put it on the floor and then eat it off the floor. But it tricks it again. It just speaks to your dog's eating style. You know, we do the best that we can to to make them comfortable in their, in their, uh, you know, body mechanics. And, and if your dog is going to pick it up and put it on the floor, I don't know what else to tell you about right. that. You know, Be- before gonna, we close happen. the show, Kathy, what, yeah. what do you think about cats and, and elevating bulls oh, for cats? I hadn't really thought about it. Actually. That's um that's a really good question. Um, you know, when I think about cats and how they eat again, I think I see most of the cats that I've seen eat almost get again into that a little bit of that sphinx mm-hmm. position. Now, they're not quite all the way down because they've got to be prepared to, you know, spring away in case, you know, danger comes. But right. But they're down. They're down a little bit more level. I don't know that I rare. I rarely see a cat stand completely to eat, but may, it does happen. Sure, I've seen it. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it can't hurt, you know, um, cats get back pain too. cats get neck pain too. um, cats get soft tissue injuries. Um, I, I not only do I, would I consider maybe elevating the bowl, but putting the elevated bowl even on top of something. So the cat gets to eat up high on their shelf with their, ele- mm. you know, maybe with their elevated yes. bowl. Yes. Um, but we shouldn't be dismissive of cats and their pain, um, or their body mechanics either. Right. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I think that you could potentially, you know, elevate them a bit and, and give them a better body mechanics when they're eating. Yeah. I, and I think to your point, it's a bit. I, that question had been raised to me, you know, with my uh, cat 
owner clients and, and, uh, same. I I'm like, they eat kind of in that crouched position, low to the floor, but you know, maybe you could just put it up on a book or something like that, just a little bit higher. Um, if you know, you thought there was an an issue, but in terms of kind of sparing the front limbs or, you know, getting more weight on the back. And I don't think that necessarily is equivalent between the dog and the cat and how they Mm -hmm. eat their styles. But if your cat had some neck or back pain, I think uh, potentially it could help by bringing it up a little bit, but again, you don't want it to raise their head um, into what we call extension and and Mm -hmm. being uncomfortable. You're just trying to almost like slide that bowl in whether it's the dog or the cat to where it would naturally seem like it should be. Yeah. I I know that's kind of vague, but I think if our audience starts, watching, you know, they'll, they'll be able to, to figure that out. And then if it's wrong, you know, see what's unnatural. Um, and I just want to put a plug in here for traction too. This is one of the key places that I make sure that a dog has a a non-skid rug, um, Uh rubber flooring, a mat, whatever. We often put the mat under the bowls because we are worried about it slopping onto the floor, but we need a mat or rug under the dog or animal for traction so that they engage their muscles because it's weight bearing that really is effective. Um, We want them to engage their muscles during their eating time and it becomes a benign passive exercise, if you will. Right. Um, And that's a really great point, Chris, that this is this in particular is the place that you're going to want to have good traction. I don't want my dogs splaying or I don't want patients mm-hmm. splaying, slipping, sliding. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to have to fight to keep their their balance uh, necessarily about falling while they're eating. I do want them to keep their balance because that's part of the exercise, but I don't want them to fall. Also, you know, if you're not confident about standing there and eating, you know, uh, the whole time because you think you might fall, that's a, you know, that's a big issue as well. You know, we've had many a discussion with our friend, Dr. Julie Busby about traction. And my husband always goes, oh my gosh, every episode we're talking about traction, but it's, you know, every, it's so vital. It's so, so important. Uh, to have uh, in in specific areas of the home, um, particularly at the food bowl, mm-hmm. at the water mm-hmm. bowl. I don't want to go to a restaurant and have to worry about slipping and falling while I'm eating my cheeseburger. <laughs> I don't want, you know, I don't want, I want to have the confidence that I'm not going to be able, you know, they're not going to fall um, or be frightened also, you know, a fall. Yeah, so it'd be like us trying to, to, like you said, navigate on like a, a greasy floor or something like that. Eating and drinking. Um, yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the word splain too, because mm-hmm. if anybody's had that dog that is weak in the hind yeah. end and you're watching them, you know, eat their dinner on like a hardwood floor, you know, something that's, that's slippery over time, as they're standing there, those legs will just start to slide out. So they're working really, really hard to keep them under them. And I don't want them quote, you know, because then our owners may say, well, you just said that it can be an exercise. Isn't that a good exercise? But that's not a functional exercise. It's falling. It's falling. (laughs) I don't want them wasting, quote, wasting energy, just trying Mm -hmm. to keep their legs in while they're eating. I want them to have that energy for more appropriate activities. And if their legs are under them and they're just engaging them in a weight bearing position, then that 
that is appropriate, right? You're strengthening in that proper biomechanical position. But if you're constantly fighting to bring those legs in, you know, the adductor muscles, the squeezy muscles on the inside of the thigh are just getting overworked. And then they're too pooped to go out for their walk later, right. you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. so I'm going to say um, yay or nay on the raised bowls. For me, I'm going to say yeah, I think that it's a good idea. I think that when it comes to our giant breed dogs, though, and our large breed dogs, caution, uh, caution, and maybe have that discussion with your veterinarian about, um, you know, was is there a history of uh, GDV in in your dog's line? Um, does your dog eat fast? What is their eating style? Um, so I think that with the large and the giant breed dogs, we should we should, uh, you know, proceed with caution. But for our small and medium dogs and our cats, I, I'm on board. I'm on board. Good. I've been on board for a long time, so I'm definitely oh, a yay. I'm definitely sure. a yay. I feel like I won you over, Kathy. <laughs> you did. You did. And I'm glad we had this show because I want to add this into uh, my evaluation process. Because when I go into I just was at someone's home over the weekend, and I, I looked at their flooring, and I looked at their bedding, and I looked at the placement of the bedding. And I, you know, it, but the one thing I didn't check was the dog bowls. Mm-hmm. How, are they elevated? Where are they in the house? Are they elevated? And is there a good traction? So I'm putting it on my list. Put it on your list. All for the better care of your animals. Exactly. All for the better care. That's right. (laughs) Well, fantastic debate, Kathy. Thanks for for engaging. And um, I hope that this gives our listeners pause and that they will think about it for their own situations. I think that they will consider it as well. So thanks, Chris. Thanks for bringing up this topic. I had a great time talking about it today. Toodaloo. Bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please go to enableyourpet.com. Thank you and please tune in next time.